Hi there and welcome back to the FFS podcast. I'm your host Pradi once again and this is episode number 33 of season 2 of the FFS series. I know you all miss me because we didn't have an episode last week but here we are nonetheless with a brand new episode. I mean so this is kind of slightly special because we're going to be talking about two huge topics in the world of English football especially. So I've divided into two segments. So in segment one, we'll be talking to a couple of Norwich fans about their recent promotion to the Premier League, what it entails for them, and you know how what's brought them to this point. And in segment two, we'll talk about this recent proposal about this independent regulator that's come up in the news, and I'll explain more about it when we're doing that particular segment. So let let's start with segment one or part one of episode number thirty three. and for part 1 we're going to be talking about norwich's recent promotion to the premier league and to help me discuss this and delve into this topic in greater detail we've got two guests on the podcast one who has been on the podcast before and one who is a ffs newbie both of them also are members of the new york canaries supporters group which i mean you can follow them i'll probably pro- i will tag them when i upload the episode as well So let's start off with introductions and we'll start off in alphabetical order as is the norm in our previous episodes as well. So let's start with James. So James, welcome to the podcast and why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Hey Brady, thanks. So I started the New York Norwich City Sports Club, New York Canaries in about 2003 when I moved to the states. Um and we used to to hang out in a bar on the Upper West Side before about 10 years ago moving to the Football Factory, which is right near the Empire State Building in Manhattan and we meet there to watch games and that's about it. Watch the Mighty Yellers. Okay, tell me this. So you've obviously moved to the United States and how do you get this gathering of North City because North City isn't the sort of big six, top six clubs that people would generally have followed. So how did you find people like Ryan, people like Nicholas, who we've had on the podcast, and other such Norwich supporters? Yeah, at the beginning it was actually you know there was no football on the television to to offer as a group. We used to have to listen to the radio. Uh, to, back back in two thousand and three, the Premier League games on in the US was very sparse. So I mean really we started a website and I had some help on social media and some help from the club itself to let people know we were we we existed and from that point people started to find us there are, you know people from Norwich who are working in New York or a college in New York or or generally just you know been living in the area or within the the tri-borough area for for a while started to find us and dig us out and come and join us and then as social media kind of evolved it became much easier for for people to track us down and find us and as far as as american followers like ryan i just i just think that the football norwich play and the type of club they are is very attractive to people who don't have a club or are new to to watching english football awesome yeah i mean that's quite a nice story to hear and i can't wait to hear your thoughts on this it's quite a nice story to hear as well about norwich because it's not always that you see a club that's been relegated one season and has immediately bounced back to the premier league the very next season you always hear of stories and you know some of them are quite horrific stories of how things have not gone too well and that's probably because of mismanagement but of course we'll get to that a little while later next we move on to ryan uh, ryan welcome back to the podcast i know it's been a while but 
Here we are. Welcome to the big leagues once again. And why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? It's great to be back. Thanks for having us now that we're back in the Premier League. For those of you who don't remember my last podcast, I spent a semester abroad in Norwich while I was in college and fell in love with the club. And when I got back home, I was looking for fellow supporters. And as James mentioned, thankfully, there was a New York Canaries Twitter and a Canaries website. And I ended up stumbling upon those and linked up with James a little over 10 years ago now. Wow. Okay. That's quite a long time back. But yeah, I'm glad we could have you on the podcast. Uh, I know I've been trying, meaning to sort of get your thoughts as well because I wanted to try and cover the EFL, but there's so much of football going on, and especially this year has been so chaotic with the ESL towards the end, and then you had various other stories, which has been crazy. But yeah, hopefully now that you're in the Premier League, there's a lot more focus on Norwich City on the podcast next season. All right, let's move on to the first question of the day. And Ryan, I wanted to get your thoughts as a Norwich City supporter to see your club bounce back. Like I mentioned, it's not always the case that a club bounces back just the year after they've been relegated. So to see that from the Canaries, what did you make of it? We were hopeful that at the very least we would find ourselves in the playoff this year. We were able to luckily keep most of our top players. We made a few sales which allowed us to not have to stress out and, and sell the likes of Emmy Buendia or Todd Canwell. So, I mean, even at the beginning of the year, even when the year started off slowly, still felt as though at the very least we would be in the playoffs, but was very impressed with the resurgence that they had once the transfer window closed and both Todd and Emmy knew that they were staying. You know, they kind of just ran away with the league. I mean, there were a few bumps along the way, but other than that, they, they played some pretty comprehensive football throughout the year. Exactly. And we come to the retention of players, which is so key for you know, clubs that have been relegated to the championship. But before we get to that, James, what did you make of Norwich City's performance this season and their remarkable comeback to the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, I think at this level, they, they've been very consistent, um, even in the last campaign um, in, this, in this league. I think the keys are definitely that, that a lot of teams that get promoted will break their wage structure, sign expensive players, and then when they go down, they, they're in a bit of a pickle and they have to sell their best players. The, the finances are not there and they just basically have to start again. I mean, you look at teams like Stoke and Sunderland are good examples of that. And, and what we've done is under uh, Stuart Weber, they've, they've made a conscious decision that we're not going to live beyond our means and we're going to build a team that's based on good scouting, youth, keep the structure together, keep the team together and and basically develop a cohesive style of football that um, that relies on the players that know each other week in, week out. And so coming back down again, largely with the, the same team, they also just knew that they had to add a few key pieces to make the team stronger. And they learned from, from the Premier League season <clears throat> and indeed the season before where we conceded a lot more goals uh, than we did this year. And so, you know, keeping the team together and, and learning from mistakes and where the team needs to strengthen and, and making a squad, squad that's strong enough, they definitely not only have achieved the same thing as they did two years ago, but in a much stronger position as a group of players to do well in the Premier League. Right. And James, the last time we had Ryan and Nicholas on the podcast, we spoke about, obviously, at that point of time, it was known that Norwich were going down to the championship. But there was a sense of all is not lost. I think when you look at the teams like 
You, you mentioned Stoke or Sunderland or your Blackburn Rovers, Bolton Wanderers, teams who have done so well in the Premier League and then have rele- been relegated and then have just lost all hope in the championship, right? And we've seen how badly it's affected them. Whereas with Norwich, you kind of felt that, okay, we've gone to the championship, but you know it's not all lost. We are better than most teams down there. I think we spoke about how, like you also mentioned and Ryan also mentioned that you know, in terms of finances, Norwich was strong because they didn't go break the bank like, say, a Fulham did on unnecessary players. They knew the players that they needed. Farker knew the players that they needed. And it also came down to that you didn't have to sell. I mean, the main thing is you didn't have to sell. We're looking at Bournemouth now, who lost out of the playoffs. They had to sell, you know, Cam Wilson. They had to sell Ryan Fraser, a couple of their key players who were very good in, in the Premier League. So... How important was it for Norwich to keep a hold of your Buendias, uh, Max Aaron, Timu Puki, and Cantwell as well? So how important was that from Norwich's, Norwich City's perspective? And also that you were financially strong enough to say no. Because I remember, I think Max Aaron's was linked to, heavily linked to Bayern Munich at one point of time. And you know it's, it's very hard not to turn down uh, hard to turn is hard to turn down. Sorry, a club like Bayern Munich, but to have the boss to say no, I mean, we're not going to sell him. How impressed were you with all of that? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the the kind of football the team plays, we do have stars, right? You got Buendia, Campwell, Puki. They're all stars of the team, but across the board, it it really is a team effort. It's it's everyone in every position. And the players that then come in from them, from the squad, know the job they have to do, the, the kind of football they have to play, the kind of style. They're, they're very switched on and focused. And it's not really about individuals. You know, some of our goals will start with Tim Krul in goal and, you know, play triangles around defense. And then 30 seconds later, you scored, right? So the team work ethic and the team football under Farker has been, has been the key to that largely. Um, and so when players have been injured or gone out for periods of time players coming in have filled that void and done just as well so i think the strength of the squad has definitely been the key to that and then just yeah just the, the transparency of the club itself under weather to to have a blueprint to, to we all know what the expectations are we know we're not going to go spend 20 million on a player we know we're not going to break the bank we know what we're looking at we can see the youth players coming through and coming into the team and and, and making a difference we can see the players behind them that are coming along and i think it's just the club is in a really, really great place with a plan that we haven't really had a plan for many, many, many years before the Weber Farker era. So hopefully, should those guys ever leave, that we stick to that blueprint and keep going as we as we are. Because football these days is just not sustainable for clubs the size of Norwich when you talk about the money that is being spent in the top six, top eight of the of the Premier League. And there there are other ways to do it. And that is basically, you know, developing your own talent and developing a style of football where stars are kind of not the focus. Right. And Ryan, I want to get your thoughts as well on this because we had that conversation in our previous podcast as well. How crucial was it to you know, keep the team intact, work, build on that team that you already had in the Premier League? And also, I just want to know how important it was to have Farka continue as your manager because we also, like I mentioned, we've seen managers who, when they see their team relegated, they take the easy way out and probably you know resign. We've seen with Eddie Howe at Bournemouth. We saw it, I think, now we're seeing it with Sam Allardyce and West Bromwich. So how important was that? Well, I mean, to talk to the Farker point first, I mean, Weber at the end of the season admitted, you know, if you're going to point a finger, it should be pointed at me. You know, I basically sent him into battle without a gun. 
you know, they admitted before the campaign they weren't going to be spending much, and you know, the squad going in was was going to need a lot of a lot of help and a lot of luck to have survived last year. So I think they did right by Farka by giving him the opportunity to bring them up, and I think he's rewarded them by doing what he did this year. You know, and then talking to the fact that they were able to hold on to all these key players, like James said, the style that we play, you know, allows us to not be dependent upon specific individuals and you know by being able to sell a couple of defenders that they felt they had replacements and you know enough depth to overcome you know they got a good haul for both Godfrey and Lewis you know and the club marched on as if they didn't miss a beat from from what they did two years ago you know a lot of the players had been in the championship two years prior were used to the way that that league plays playing twice a week playing a stoke on on a Tuesday night sort of deal you know, and they they came back down and they showed up after being relegated and they said, we don't want to stay here. We want to be back in the Premier League. And they they were able to come through and do it. Right. And uh, one of the other things, uh, other factors that James had mentioned earlier on was the fact that you've been a little much more defensively sound this time around. I think we spoke about your time at the Premier League in our last podcast. And it wasn't, I mean, the, the start was brilliant. You know, Timu Puki was on an amazing run, hit a purple patch right off the bat. And you could see the style of play that Farka wanted, wanted to implement. And it was entertaining. It was fun. But ultimately, I think the best way to describe the defensive woes was the first match I think against Liverpool where you scored three, but you ended up letting in four, right? If I'm not mistaken. And I think that was probably a sign of what was to come. And it obviously, you once Spooky stopped scoring there was a lot of lot more challenge to get past and especially in the big leagues where you hadn't spent a lot unlike the Fulhams and any anyone like that but going into the championship this year we've seen that you know defensively Norwich have been very very sound we've been much much better so I just want to know what are the t- tactical tweaks that Farker has done or made to the team to become so so much more better and stop you know, goals from flowing into your, into the back of your net. A couple of key things were the signings of, of Ben Gibson, who came in and replaced Ben Godfrey, and you know, that seemed to steady the back line. And then the the mid season transaction picking up Yanulis, you know, really really steadied the back line. And um, I think you know, you can't dismiss the fact that obviously playing in this league with this level of players. And our talent level, it's a tad easier to concede less in comparison to playing City and Chelsea and Liverpool twice a year. You know, I think goals overall were down in the championship this year, which I think kind of helped make our defensive numbers look even better than they were. But I think defensively, they, they finally, you know, felt comfortable in all their roles and, you know, trusted one another more this year than last year. And I think the, the lack of injuries on the back line this year compared to the Premier League season was was vital. You know, there were, I think, more than half the matches played in the Premier League campaign where we didn't even have two fit center back starting for us. So, I mean, I think that, that was a significant uh, upgrade for us as well, just having players in their natural positions on that back line. Right. Yeah, I think they went up. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think they went, they went up too early, right? So they had a plan to get promoted and we suddenly were running away with the league and, 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 and 
it was clear that we we had a shot at promotion and we did it by scoring a lot of goals and conceding a lot of goals as we said and they just the squad wasn't deep enough to compete in the premier league they went they went up too soon and then once you got there to not expose yourself to, to too much they they stuck with the gung-ho style of going for it which was you know i think it's the right thing to do really because you, you're true to the type of football that you play and that the fans want to see and but everyone knew that we didn't have enough depth we didn't have enough depth at center back we didn't have the players in in front of the of the defense to to sniff out attacks and then cut them out um and that's the difference that they strengthened on this year with this with the loan signing of oliver skip and and as ryan said ben gibson um instrumental and then players you know like um Omar Bamadali coming through, who were able to fill a, a void when we had injuries as well. They're just a lot stronger and a lot more prepared. And the football itself is a lot more considered. It's it's less gung-ho and more methodical. Right. And I think Ryan had mentioned this, James, about there being few more goals scored this year. And that probably has made the defensive statistics look a little better. But James, I just want to know, has there been some sort of sacrifice? And I'm slightly drawing parallels here. I know it's not exactly apples and apples. But when you look at uh, Liverpool, what they did in 2017, 2018, it was all about scoring goals and trying to outscore opponents because defensively they were so shambolic. But a year or two later on, with the, you know, obviously with Van Dyke and all coming in, it was, they were so much more defensively sound. But you did see a slight dip in the goals. It's not obviously too low, but. You saw a slight dip in the goal, but I'm just wondering to know, is that from a tactical tweet? Because we saw that with Klopp that it was slightly to do with maybe sacrificing a little more of the, you know, pressing high up and to kind of manage games a lot more better. So is he doing the same thing here, trying to manage games a lot more better by not going pressing so much that you just need to keep scoring and at the same time, you're probably risking uh, letting in a few? Yeah, I think the key word is balance, right? Like we didn't have an overall balance in the team. We played some good football, but we didn't have a balance that allowed you to really play the possession game that they do right now. Um, keep the ball with confidence and know that every single player that's in that starting eleven is capable of connecting with each other and and being interchangeable. And you know, I think key examples of that are the growth of players like Campwell, who two years ago were were young and new to the team and. And now they've developed and grown so much to the point that really being able to exploit space and, and, and move all over the pitch and be interchangeable and swap with sides and um, drop back to suck players in, which allows other players to hit space. Uh, it, it's really evolved from where Farker wanted to play two years ago. And I think that was always his plan. That's always the style of football that he wanted to play. He just didn't have the players to do it fully, um, which I think he has now after another two years of transfer windows and, and promoting youth players and signing young players from other clubs that are ready to come through. I think we're, we're in a position where he has all the pieces he needs to, to play the football that he's always wanted to play. Brilliant. And I mean, that perfectly transitions to my next question. And first of all, before we get to that, welcome now once again to the Premier League, or I should say the big league, but unfortunately you're entering quite a shit show with what's happened over the past few months in the Premier League with respect to the ESL, Project Big Picture. You're just entering a whole, whole world of constant having to stop the top six from breaking out. So that's what you're what you're entering into. But we're talking about transfers and obviously Norwich are going to get a huge win for, for, for getting 
promoted to the Premier League. Now we we discussed this, and I I'm also I believe that I'm guessing the answer is going to be the same that the blueprint isn't going to change. It's suddenly not going to start spending the billions and millions. But of course, your players ha- would have attracted a lot of interest because of the way that you've dominated the championship. You're talking about, I think, you know, Buendia, someone like an Arsenal were always looking for, they would love to have him. Max Aaron's another very good right back. You know, like Cantwell as well at one point was linked. So people like this, I just want to know in this summer, how important is it for Farker and what do you expect from Norwich City in terms of transfers? Uh, Ryan, let's hear your thoughts on this first. I think the important thing will be to keep Wendia and Cantwell for for the season, or at the very least through the January window, depending upon where we are on the table. I think if you just look at the statistics of how the club performs with Wendia on the pitch and off of it, I just I can't see any money they bring in for him being spent on anybody else that's going to make as much of an impact as he does. Nobody's going to come in and have the connection that he does with Pookie. I do expect them to sell people. I would be shocked if Aaron's is back. I have a feeling that's going to be one of our bigger players to go. I'd love to get Ali Skip back. So, you know, I'm hopeful that the Spurs are interested in Aaron's and some sort of exchange can be worked out because I think replacing Oliver Skip is going to be massive for their success in the coming year. But I think the biggest keys are definitely going to be holding on to Buendia and Cantwell and, and giving it a go with this group of players, you know, one more time in the Premier League now that they all have that experience and, you know, have been exposed to it. Right. In terms of Max Aaron's, I think it was really key that you stuck to your the valuation that you had for him. I think you would initially put in 40 million. And in this market where, you know, everyone's hit by the pandemic financially, it was very difficult for someone to have paid so much for him. And I feel like if they continue to keep that evaluation, I doubt there'll be too many. I'm sure there'll be someone or the other who might fancy their chances. But I, I, I really like the fact that, you know, Norris stuck to the guns. It could have been easily, you know, a club like Bayern or someone like of that stature to have easily bullied, you know, a club in the championship. But for them to stick to the guns is really, really nice to see. Uh, James, I want to know your thoughts as well on the transfer situation this summer for Norwich. Yeah, I, I think when you've got a system like we have, you're always preparing, always doing things early. Like we've already signed two Premier League players in Giannoulis and, and Gibson, and they were on loan with the contingency that should we go up, they they would trigger the payments for those players. So I think we've already prepared by signing two players that are ready for the Premier League. When it comes to Max Ahrens, we don't have to sell. When you're financially stable and you have a plan where you're not breaking the bank and you're not putting yourself in debt and you live within your means, when players come along like Max, you know, and, and they, they're worth a lot of money and teams are going to be sniffing around them at a higher level, you don't have to buckle and sell them for, for less than, than they are worth. And I also think that Max knows that his development as a football player is far more um, attractive to play football every week than to go to Bayern Munich and maybe sit on their bench for six months. So, you know, I do believe he'll go when the time is right, when when there's a, a, a team comes in that's going to offer him first-team football for the right amount of money. But yeah, we're in a great position where we don't have to sell. Same with Buendia. I, I honestly don't think Arsenal have the money. We're willing to pay 40, 45 million for a player. And I also think he's happy. He's just made the Argentina team for the first time this summer. And he's playing, he'll be playing in the Premier League again. And he knows that he, he's in a team now where he's being successful, getting noticed and rushing to move somewhere is probably 
not the highest on his agenda either. But looking at the Premier League and looking at next season, which are the key areas, according to you, that Norwich should probably target to either fill in the gaps or to replace someone? Hang on the money. You know, he was so instrumental this year in, in, in the way we played and exceeded expectations when he came on loan. So having a player like him in front of the back four is, is going to be key in the Premier League. And I think that's going to be a key role. But I don't think we're going to wait for that. Um, it's just not Weber's style to to wait until Tottenham see him in preseason and decide whether or not he's available to come back to us. I think we will fill that that role sooner rather than later with either a, a player coming in or maybe another loan from another club. But that's definitely going to be key. One or two players in that role is going to be be super key to, to success next season. Awesome. And I guess the last question that I have for both of you, and Ryan, I just wanted to know what do you what should we expect from Norwich this time around in the Premier League in terms of the style of play, in terms of how defensively sound you're probably going to be this time around, like, you know, the tactical side of things. I'm not going to ask you <laughs> which position you're going to be at because that's uh, that's too hard to predict right now. I think you're going to see a consistent style of play that you've seen from Farco over the last couple of years. I think you'll see it continue to trend in the direction it did last year, where it's not as pressing, where they're just, you know, trying to outscore people. I think they learned and, you know, have an understanding that that's not going to keep them up in the Premier League. Uh, you know, they're going to need to be stronger defensively than they were two years ago. And you saw signs of that this year. So I would expect to see what we saw this past year with you know, a touch of an additional emphasis on, on staying solid and strong defensively because the only way we're going to be able to, to compete is if, you know, we can not be giving up three goals a match like we uh, nearly did two years ago. Right. And James, your thoughts as well on this? Yeah, I think it's not going to change. We, we have a, a very possession-based type of football. It's definitely more considered and methodical with the decision-making than it was two years ago, where we were definitely very gung-ho. And, and last year in a Prem, it's not going to change. I think we're just more of the same, just we're personnel-wise a little bit stronger um, and in a better position to be more stingy with giving up goals, um, with a better defense and a, a better midfield and players that have been together now for a while. I think Obviously, I'll be happy with survival, but I honestly think we'll do a little bit better. I think we'll we'll be we'll be in that mid-table area. I think I think they've definitely got the players to do that, and, and they've obviously also not been shy about saying that we will spend a little bit more money this time round, as long as it as it works for uh, for the club. Right, I for one am delighted to have Norwich back, and I'm not saying that as a Liverpool fan because of recent past results against you guys, but I mean it, it's always nice to see. Teams like this do well in the championship and then come back to the Premier League so quickly. And yeah, I, I think you will probably do better than survival. I think there are definitely teams right now in the Premier League who are who probably deserve that relegation battle or uh, relegation zone places more than you guys. And I probably see them there next season. But apart from that, I think you guys are in for what is going to be a very chaotic season outside of the football pitch because with whatever's going on whatever's going on and whatever's been going on in, with the top six and how the Premier League is going to change so drastically but given you know recent changes like we're going to talk about in our second segment about that independent regulator stuff like that it is I mean you guys have entered into one of the more entertaining and one of the more exciting years in Premier League history and 
I mean, I'm glad. I'm I'm pretty sure you guys must be glad to be a part of it because you'll have a voice in whatever's been going on, whatever's going to go on in that Premier League uh, season. Because we know the EFL at times has always probably been looked down at, but yeah, I mean, to have a seat at the table, the big table, and to kind of you know just enjoy the ride because it's going to be one hell of a ride. And I guess we'd love to have you on you know we can have you on many more podcasts because you'll definitely have a, an opinion on what is going on in the premier league and i can't wait to host you in the near future but unfortunately that's all the time we have for this particular segment so thank you james and ryan for being a part of this podcast it was a pleasure to have you on here once again and get your thoughts on what was a very very successful season for norwich so congratulations for making it through the championship and to for being promoted back to the premier league uh, it's going to be an exciting next year, and I can't wait to host you in the near future. Great. Thanks for having us. Awesome. All right. And uh, to those of you who've been listening to this podcast episode, that's it for part one or segment one. I'll catch you all on part two, which is coming up right after this. See you. All right, so welcome now to segment two or part two of episode number 33 of the FFS podcast. I'm your host, Praddy, once again. And if you're joining us for this segment alone, I do recommend you go listen to our first part or part one of the episode. It was a very nice conversation we had with a couple of Norwich City fans about their promotion. And now, for turning our attention to segment two or part two, we're going to be talking about the recent proposal to implement an independent regulatory body. Now, this is something that was started or pushed forward by a lot of the ex-footballers following the backlash from the top six breakaway to the ESL. And I, mean, I think it was Gary Neville who first proposed it, then you had Rio Fernand who joined in, and then several other footballers and you know even fan celebrities like you had Chiki Sport, then you have AFTV, you had Redmond TV all signed uh, this petition and it will be heard in the government. Now, this Topic is something that a lot of people who I reached out to for this podcast were oblivious to. I was quite surprised about it. They weren't sure as to what it what I was talking about. So I had to actually explain to each one of them that this is what is being proposed. But I'm glad that we could have this on here before it becomes this huge topic in the world of football. I'm glad we caught it early. So to help me discuss this topic in greater detail, we've got three guests on this particular segment two of whom are FFS newbies. They haven't been on the podcast before. And one who's been quite often on the podcast uh, representing the Indian Hammers Supporters Club. So we'll start with introductions and we'll go in alphabetical order as always. So let's start with Jaren. Jaren, welcome to the podcast. And why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, hi, uh, Pradeep. Yeah, so I mean, if you ask me, I would say that, uh, okay, I am... Uh, uh, I mean, from football point of view, I, I support Chelsea, Chelsea Football Club. I'm a resident of Chennai. I mean, uh, I have a day job. I'm actually into sales. Say so that's pretty much about me. Awesome. All right. Uh, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts, especially as one sure. of the big big six teams. Uh, yeah. Next, we move on to Michael. And Michael, welcome back to the podcast yet again. And why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Hey, and there's... Uh... As Praddy initially mentioned, I'm the one who is already an experienced member of this particular podcast, but I'm also guilty of being one of the people that Praddy had reached out to who had no idea what the subject 
initially <laughs> was about so i'm uh, coming out and i'm coming out my hands raised and accepting fact that i didn't know about this two days ago as in i knew about it as in i knew that gary neville and co had come out talking about something but i had no idea about the details behind it but yeah i had been reading up because of it and it's something that has really picked up my interest as of late so i think before we start off the podcast itself i should thank pradi for bringing this to light so that i was able to t- do some research on it anyway looking forward to a good podcast time with you guys awesome brilliant and lastly we've got nishant and nishant welcome to the podcast and why don't you tell us a bit about yourself thanks for having me pradi and yeah this is the not just my first time on your podcast but the first time on any any podcast so i'm a manchester united fan and looking forward to this discussion brilliant all right so you've gotten to know a bit about our guests for this particular segment so let's start off with a sort of baseline question for this topic right so let's start with nishan nishan i don't know if you had heard of the independent regulator before i reached out to you but now that you have heard of it what did you make of it well i had heard of it because i follow rio ferdinand's youtube channel and he had mm-hmm. he had mentioned something of the sort that's that something like this is coming along and obviously as a man united fan you kind of get updates whenever anything related to manchester united happens so gary neville having done all this it obviously showed up in my feeds and you know man united supporters group so it was a conversation that i've been following but even if you know if you had given me a week to look into this there's not much available in the media like i i tried to look for more details so that we could have a more informed discussion but i don't think there's much out there other than the fact that you know the petition was you know signed by 100000 fans almost in a day or so but the expectation of this what's the outcome that they are trying to get how much will this regulatory body have or person can't be a person so even that is not answered is it a person is it a body there's not much to go on so do they have you know rights to look into wages or transfer fees or ticket prices we don't know so i don't know much so i'm hoping you know you guys can shed more light and maybe i can give my thoughts on points that you are aware of that i am not right i think that's that's pretty much a perfect summarization i think a lot of us will not know because there's actually not much out there in terms of the media in terms of what you can find right now is that like you mentioned that there's a petition that was put forward by several of the footballers including like i mentioned fan celebrities and then you had you know the petition was signed by 100000 odd members which means that it has to be heard in the government or the government must discuss it and apart from that yes there is talk of what it it could potentially look into in the english football game but we aren't sure yet and i suppose that's the beauty of this podcast is it's predominantly speculative and i'm glad I, and the reason i chose this is because i wanted to catch this at the earliest to try and see what your thoughts were on this and kind of see what it could lead to just so that when it becomes that you know becomes whatever it is supposed to become if it does then we can kind of see or oh, we were you know 50% right 20% right 80% right on what we said uh and lastly we've got uh jerin uh, jerin i want to know your thoughts as well on this oh sorry uh before that sorry uh michael i sorry but michael let, let me get your thoughts on this and then we go on to jerin so yeah 
Yeah, I was wondering whether you it didn't be out of the podcast nah, for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because, because your uh, Zoom handle has PC Mike there, and it, it goes below <laughs> Nishan. And I was like, okay, then if I'm going in reverse order, I just gone like, okay, yeah, but yeah, go ahead. Right. So the thing is, Brady, when you actually reached out to me regarding the subject, I didn't know about the details about this current thing. But this is actually, if I'm not mistaken, this isn't something. uh that's actually new in terms of what has been proposed mm. this independent regulatory board thing has been proposed previously because it's not something that i've seen for the first time at least the term independent regulator so yeah. i was when i was doing the read up of it about it it's it, it's actually something that has been proposed a few times before in the past and funnily enough one of the things which was i think it was in the parliament or something so one somebody in the uk government actually had proposed uh, having an, a regulator for this purpose and they had actually kind of eerily given a prediction that if it wasn't introduced that this would be something that would cause a a problem which was similar to what happened with the super league create, uh, creation attempt at the beginning of this particular season the thing is i think this is a very good idea on paper as in in terms of see whenever this whenever something comes up that needs that has been brought forward to everyone's attention when no one was expecting it one of the first things that people tend to do is to do something as a reaction it's like a reactionary yeah. uh, approach to it as in they they come up with an idea which sounds really good on paper but when you really think about it did they really think it through i think this is one of those things i mean in terms of the fact that you're having all these people come out there are things which are very which bring up a lot of concerns to me also obviously as has been mentioned before this isn't even something that has been fleshed out much yet although i do remember that gary neville actually has included certain things as pradi mentioned earlier like that they should include certain things that this regulatory board when it does get passed it will be in charge of uh, handling racism and uh, in charge of also salary caps as well yeah. as distribution of the income so that has been outlined if i'm not mistaken in gary neville's letter but that being said it's still a process it's still in the process of it so nothing has actually been concretely solidified there so we don't know so many things about this thing but as of now i think it looks like a really good idea on paper but i have a lot of issues with some of the things about it which i think we'll be getting into later on but yeah that's my basic thing about it i think it's something which is really good on paper which we really need to do, do, but we should be wary about if we are actually going to be serious about implementing it perfect all right and uh, lastly now jaren it's your chance want to tell us uh, your thoughts on this i mean i think mike uh, had uh, said some of the points which actually i had in my mind uh, i think i mean he was i mean he's correct on certain aspects i think this is not like the Uh, like the first time they had actually come up with i think they had come up with this idea even pretty much long time i believe this was a culmination of you know of many aspects as you see uh, what you see is with the you know the the kind of transfer rates and as well as the the money which is involved here i mean with the clubs and all especially with the the ticket rates and stuff like that all these actually has kind of culminated and you know come to this point see the the breaking point i would say is the whole esl debacle but the whole discussion on this has been going on for a pretty long time i mean like i i remember like watching one of those uh, uh, those fan cam episodes uh, i think that was with robby from aftv and true jody they had actually gone for one Uh, one of those uh, europe trips and uh, they had actually gone to dortmund and uh, they were saying like you know they had an experience actually with the dortmund fans and stuff like that so they had realized that you know that the fans actually had 
kind of a, a say in you know in most of the club dealings as well as you know when it, when it comes to you know the ticket prices and things like that so what they were actually saying in the in that video was that you know they should bring something some these kind of regulations probably to the english game but here the thing is i would say that the premier league and fa it's kind of like you know they are looking more on trying to make money actually rather than i would focus yeah. on regulations and stuff like that so that is what i saw see the even i was actually talking to uh, nishant you know uh, i think yesterday or day before i mean i was telling him that you know see the whole idea of develop, I mean, developing the premier league itself was probably to make money the overall picture what they gave was basically to improve the english game but the the main purpose was to make money that's how it came into picture there was no live telecast even much you know uh, right. before the the formation of the premier league there really there is really like cer- certain games you know those those big games like say a uh, united liverpool or an uh, arsenal spurs mostly either one of them used to be televised on tv that also it's mostly only highlights that is how it used to be but you know after the uh, the merger of uh, sky and btb that's how the whole uh, the sky sports actually came into picture so i mean it was pretty much a money making machine you see like that but now when you talk about after a gap of what say what 25 years right now the formation of the premier league is what 90, i would say yeah. 92 yeah, 92, so, 92. Yeah. so it's almost almost 30 years 29 29 years 29, so after 29 yeah. years you are coming up with this whole plan of regulations it's i kind of feel it's a little bit too late right now i mean even if Yeah, it's good. It's good that they draft, come up with all these drafts. But whether it will it materialize, it's that's a different question. You know, if it's a yes or no, I'm not sure whether whether it will actually happen. Right, I mean, and it's it's good, but we're not sure about. See, the whole thing about uh, you know you said about the uh, salary caps of the players and things mm-hmm. like that. Back then, if you if you see. They, they still say that you know before like 1992 the the transfer fee of like the highest paid athlete or the the footballer used to be if you if you say like 1 million pound it that was a huge sum of money back then yeah but uh, i think that whole uh, thing changed i think after what maybe with the transfer of eric cantona it was one of the highest paid transfers we see back then back in 92 this, right. this is my say completely it has to be uh, and it's your opinion. i i just want to build up on that so nishant jaren mentioned about we all obviously had this conversation when we did a separate podcast but we spoke about this potential 50 plus 1 rule being implemented in the premier league and that being you know that has to come down from the government and one of the key factors or one of the key points in this whole independent regulator is to help stop the breakaway of teams like Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal from the Premier League, you know, to stop them from breaking away and forming the Super League. Is the 50 plus 1 rule a way of doing that, do you think? When I heard about this 50 plus 1 rule initially, I never got it. As a much younger fan, I was wondering what the hell this means. And you know, even after I figured it out, I thought how does this work? Like how do they sustain that rule? How much power can you give the decision making powers to the fans and if we do that here you know bundesliga you know we it's not a very i mean obviously we have bayern probably an exception there but it's not a very attractive league so if you have to keep this league attractive and you know find more and more fans year after year it has to be something along the lines of what we are doing with the premier league and if we give majority voting rights to fans and you know fans are usually not 
very rich or they football is more you know part of their lives and they're definitely going to bring down ticket prices now if ticket prices go down because because of the fans voting against higher prices who picks up that loss that the club then incurs you know that's just one example one aspect of it now this can apply to wages or transfers whatever else the fans decide but if fans are given that much power they're going to rule for things in their favor as much as they can now if they come down on ticket prices now for some clubs ticket prices are everything they are they are not right. so much based on the tv revenue or commercial revenue they don't have other many they have other forms of revenue but not many as much as say a man united or liverpool have or chelsea even right the big six probably they have more than enough revenue coming in from many streams but what about the smaller clubs if their fans start voting against higher ticket prices the main stream of revenue which is you know stadium ticket sales that goes down then how do clubs sustain how do you sign these big players to keep up the attractiveness of the english game so i would be very hesitant to give the fans that much power as much as i would like it but i think it may not work we need some control someone but well not someone who's all into accounts like our beloved chairman at man united but at least someone who gets football but also gets accounts somewhere in the middle so okay i'm asking this to you michael how else what is the other alternative then to stopping these big 16 because i mean clearly they need they think that they are worth much more than they are actually being valued by the premier league so if not take away the power from you know people like the glazers or the cronkies of the world how do you suggest this independent regulator should probably go about to stopping this i mean is there any other way if i if we actually start at the root of everything we are actually fans of these clubs the game is built around the fact that this is actually a, it's more than just we can we can have look at it in the romantic aspect of it and say that yes this is more than a just a game it's it, there's art to it and there's life and all that stuff you can say all those rosy words that you want and i'm a west ham fan so from coming from that i should be one of those people who bases a lot of my fandom on the intangible parts of being a fan but the thing is when we really look at it as has been mentioned before this is also a business because when we look at it if if it isn't something that is attractive to these big owners to come in to buy then where's the money that's going to actually push it? see the thing is the thing which i see about this entire situation is i think the independent regulatory board is just when we the idea behind it what is the motivation behind it it's a fight between practicality and a certain level of romantic look at the game actually if we are being honest about it because it, it it's not it's not that it's a model that doesn't work like for example the 51 the 50 plus 1 rule that you just asked about nishan it does work because the bundesliga has shown that it works and if you actually ask there was a poll which was made recently i think about last season or the season before and hmm. the bundesliga fans as in the actual fans who go there and pay the tickets to watch the matches and who are a part of the paying customers basically they are happy with the rule that they have, that with the 50 plus 1 thing the essential question that we should be looking at is this see the thing is when we look at it and we say that this is wrong or this is not wrong why what is our stance in saying that this is right, right or wrong obviously as a fan we want the best football to come like if i was going to be just directly saying about west ham's best interests in terms of me as a fan i'd want yeah. us to have as much money as possible 
to be right. able to compete and win the transfer market and get players to be able to improve our squad to, so that we can actually push on to be a proper top six or top four club. That's like where we are on the precipice of being as West Ham. But the thing is, if we look at that, where does that money come from? We are, we are, we're talking about uh, economics issues now. We're talking about capitalism and the rampant part of uh, whether this can actually be allowed or not. See, the thing is, if we look at why the top, the big six, I won't use the word top because there yeah. are clubs there which are not top six clubs. <laughs> exactly. Right. But big six clubs were part of the movement to go out of the ESL. But why was that stopped in the first place? It isn't because of, uh, in the Bundesliga, you can, they can say it was a 50 plus vulnerable. It isn't when you actually look at it. Why were the clubs here? This thing? It was because of the fans. If the fans had not come up with an uproar and said that this is not something that we are willing to back, it's, it happened. It, in a way, got regulated is what I'm saying, in a way. Right. I think that if the, the best way to go forward now, rather than add an independent regulator, would be actually for the Premier League to be given more this thing. But I will say one thing about the 50 plus one rule that I think is good. I think the fans should be given more of a say in terms of at least talking, having a more of a sizable input into where their club goes in the, in the decisions that are made. But not 50%... 50 plus one to say that they yeah. are more than any other owner or stake. This anyway. I, I get it. I think, I mean, there is obviously a pro and con of it. So the thing is with the Bundesliga, it works because it was implemented from the start that way. For it to now kind of, it'd have to be a major government change or Boris Johnson has to come out and say, okay, now, you know, all owners have to leave and you come in with, you have fans who would have to buy out that club for that 50, 50% stake. But what you said, I suppose, is what's happening right now where we seeing the likes of, I think, Chelsea, uh, Liverpool have done it, where they're now having fan representation at board level. Now, we don't know how much of a voice they'll have. I mean, Liverpool, the Spiritus Shankly Trust has said that they will have a voice, they will be heard, and they will have regular meetings with the higher-ups. Chelsea also at some level said that they'd be there to listen to and, you know, will be there to represent the fans. Actually, wait... Yeah. Uh- Paddy, if you don't mind me cutting in, I, I just yeah. realized the point that I was kind of building up to at that yeah. point. Now, the thing is, what we need to look at, the reason why I was mentioning about the part where it's, whether it's really practical or whether we're actually in a place to be able to talk about this is because, see, the thing is, if you actually look at, okay, can we fix this situation in terms of it being fair and in terms of it being right, the honest truth is this current model that we're following honestly, is more inclined to be able to support the person who has more cash. That's that's how it is in business. So if we were actually going to say that, okay, we are being really uh, uh, altruistic about this and we want to actually make it even out the playing field a bit to make it more fair, then you're actually going to have to be serious about putting in stuff like salary caps because that's one of the main reasons why certain clubs or transfer caps in terms of putting this thing. But the thing is, how practical is that in terms of actually running it as a business is a different question. That's why I think it's a very flawed thing. That's the point I was trying to build up to actually because I think the answer is clear. It's just, are we really prepared to go that step or are we actually in this system where we are unfortunately, where we're looking out for the biggest money to come in to be able to help our club to go out. That's the honest truth. If most of the fans, they want more money to put... put Manchester City fans are not complaining about the money that they're getting to be able yeah. to buy the players that they're playing. The yeah. people criticize them how much ever want and say it's unfair. But then at the end of the day, are they doing anything wrong legally? Is that the point? Now, the answer to that question is yes. 
<laughs> no, if we're talking about the certain things, like the certain cases that they're talking about, uh, as in as they're a country and they're they say that's a different question. But then that's been proved. That's a issue which is going in court. But then other th- other uh, clubs like Abramovich and Chelsea, and uh, you can't deny the fact that money owners have come in with the money that they have, and they've improved the league in terms of the quality of football that we see. But at what cost? And where has that led us is the main question, I think. So, so that's why we're stuck. So, so are you All pro right. 50? So, oh, sorry, Pradi. I just want yeah, to know, are you, yeah. are you with the 50 plus one? You say that'll be a good thing? I think what he meant was 50 plus one might be a huge change right now for the Premier League. But they might... Uh, right now, fan representation at bowl level would be probably the practical step. But I just want to get your thoughts on this, Jared. Because that'll the be... alternate, like uh, Michael was also mentioning, is that if you want to create a fairer playing ground okay or a level playing field instead of going the whole distance and creating this 50 plus one rule where your fans instead of the owners get rid of them we have these salary caps and these transfer fee caps how much of a difference would that make salary caps see now why why do most of the players like like say from south america and uh, you know the other parts of europe are actually coming towards uh, uh, to uk the main reason is because of the money now if you see taken you if you take in uk if you compare the average, the weekly uh, salary of a player in in the UK in the Premier League, and compare that with the that of in the Bundesliga, it would be comparatively more actually for the for the guy who's playing in the UK. So if you say that you have to bring a salary cap to a player who's playing in the Premier League, say for example like maybe uh, Riyad Mahrez or any of those guys, the international players, you tell them, or let's say one of those Brazilian players who was actually playing in the Premier League, they would rather not stick. Playing in the in the UK because for them what matters more more would be getting a high salary. Why do, why do you think a player like let's say like Neymar was actually doing quite well uh, in Barcelona, jumped ship to PSG? The, the main or an Oscar was, at Chelsea. Yeah, even Oscar at Chelsea when he went to China. Yeah, <laughs> eventually to China. I mean, just, why? It was just for money. So if you say that we, ha- if you are you are supposed to bring it to the UK, there will be other clubs who might take advantage. Like I would say, like say other European clubs. I would say, let's say, let's say if you ship to something like in France, uh, PSG, you can take it as a good example. If they want to bring in the, the, you know players from other clubs, they'll be happy to do that. So do you think it then should be a whole like all the leagues, like a UEFA sort of regulation that yeah every league it, it should, rather than. Uh, if you see this whole, you know, the the cap thing, I think you would actually. It, it all started with the Bosman rulings, and if you if you know about that case, mm-hmm. I hope you know about yeah. the Bosman. Now, the whole thing started with Bosman ruling. Once Bosman won that case, only the whole thing about the salary increment and everything, everything started. There was a time when you know, I think what way back in the two thousands or like between two thousand and two thousand ten, the the average salary cap of a a decently good player used to be between what the two hundred to two fifty k pounds per week. Yeah. Now it come it had come to such a level like they want they are demanding somewhere around five hundred to six hundred k pounds. Yeah. That's a huge lot of money. You yeah. compare that uh, that salary from a Premier League player. And compared to that, to a tier a tier two player of the English league, I mean that is what you to the English conference conference one is what I would yeah, say. Champ- championship, championship conference. Championship is the second, the second one. Right? Yeah. Oh, the one yeah. before that. Yeah, League One or League Two. Yeah. Yeah, League One. Yeah. So compared to so there's a huge salary gap if you see. now if yeah. you compare that with say or something like that of a Bundesliga, the average uh, salary cap weekly uh, cap of a player is it's fairly much decent now. 
now the whole reason why they actually started this league on the concept of league is basically was to improve their national squads that was the whole thing behind all this but eventually somewhere down the line maybe i would say england uh, the fa lost its way they they thought okay this would be one way of making money but whereas bundesliga i mean i would say that see now you compare both us and on a national level and see the german national team has won what from uh, say from 1990 if you say they had won uh, uh, two championships i would say and whereas mm-hmm. england hasn't won even a single championship right now so the whole purpose gone so in a way like what mike said having 50 plus 1 is actually is kind of good because it you i mean you're still churning good quality games actually out of in the bundesliga it's just that you know people are not watching it one good example i would say is like you know you can i think mike or nishant would ag- agree is that in the 90s in the 90s premier league was never the top like one of those uh, you know yeah. top leagues the actual league was serie a if you yeah. see the top big clubs back then was what you you if you ask anyone they would say it's juventus ac milan inter milan fiorentina sampdoria these were those clubs like who were like those big clubs back then but eventually just it's it was just because of the money the investment didn't go properly into the italian leagues that is why their popularity came down whereas in england people were putting in money the the moment people actually started investing money the players started asking for more money because they have to pay their uh, you know their representatives their uh, their agents all those things now uh, i think one one trigger point i would say that of how this uh, i mean gary neville was actually highlighting about this i think it was with that uh, i mean correct me if i'm wrong i think it was whole with the whole pogba transfer hmm. that is where the whole thing actually started yeah And yeah i, I suppose it? yeah that that probably started it for the english game especially i mean then you look at what the neymar transfer did for to entire the the entire transfer market and then we're talking about this on a I mean ne- neymar thing happened much before before pogba if i'm not was it i thought it was after, i'm pretty sure it was either that same year or was i think a little yeah, later yeah it's relatively the same yeah yeah so okay i, I just wanted to get nishant your thoughts on other stuff and the other uh, aspects just, just to close i mean like yeah. uh, when mike was saying about man city's uh, you know spending money but i would also accept that yeah you know see even chelsea kind of started that trend if you say yeah, in that definitely <laughs> definitely, definitely. But, but, yeah. but but i would also say see much even before chelsea had money the only clubs back then who actually had decent good decently good amount of money was actually united arsenal and uh, what do you say your liverpool so um, united were actually a quite rich yeah. club even before the glazers just that they were kind of going in a little bit of debt and they wanted some extra cash you you take the roster of uh, your early 2000s i mean they had, united had a good squad if you see yeah. you had your veron you had your uh, nilsteroy these are all before i mean the, the same period on, in that so on the backdrop of that like let's say roman abramovich comes at that particular point of time so when people say that you know that you no know, city i mean that chelsea was like you know kind of buying players you know they were they were the root cause of this i would say that no it's it's a natural process you can't blame a specific club like that it yeah. all right uh, yeah i just want to now move on to other factors before we kind of close this. so nishant the other 
points that were in that petition were talking about LGBTQ, which is quite a rampant problem in the men's game, especially you can see it in the women's game, how openly, you know, players have come out and, you know, they aren't being shamed for it. Whereas if you look at, you know, the men's game, we can see how brutal it is, especially on social media, if and when a, a player comes out and uh, comes out as gay or any of the other categories, you know, um, you know, bi or trans or anything like that. So, so something like a regulator to, how, how do you think this regulator would help that particular initiative? I must admit, I'm least qualified to answer this question because it's, <laughs> no, it's such I, a I get, yeah <laughs> you know, it's I, it's such a sensitive topic worldwide that you you know really want to be careful of what you say especially when you're speaking public in such a public forum but i i mean i don't see how i mean a regulatory body can come and set up some rules but but i mean is, I, it, is it more to do with kind of helping provide a safe space at least in the UK, it's better. The situation is slightly better. You compare that with Italy, it's much worse. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I, I'm sure. But I'm just saying, even then in England, I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people who are scared. And especially because of how social media is very, very violent to stuff like this. Uh, when so actually, almost, so almost well, I won't say 100%, but you know. Yeah, a majority yeah. percentage of people in the world go to work. Yeah. The legislative bodies or HR or government have not been able to define anything properly for our workplaces. Now, football, even though it's such a big number, it's nothing compared to regular offices in the world. Now, if yeah. you have not managed to find a solution in day-to-day -day life, how are we going to put that into, like, a clearly this is a man's game, or this is women's football? It's... How do you go into that area and say, hey, these are the rules and now you have to stick by this? And it's very difficult. It, it again brings to my initial apprehension of who is this body? Like how yeah. knowledgeable are they in this? You know, yeah, do they even exactly, know enough right. football or how do they? <laughs> it just feels like Gary Neville's just put everything that he'd like to see in the exactly. letter and just be like, okay, now you guys figure it out how you want to do that. Yeah. And I, I think, think he just I threw it in because I think that's the thing to do these days. Oh, oh I forgot woke. this thing. It's yeah, woke. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I spoke about money. I spoke about players. Now what do I have to speak about? Oh, LGBTQ. That's the next thing, right? Let me do that as well. Yeah. But, and another point that was being made there was racism. And I know all of your clubs have and even mine has been involved in some racism, uh, racist, has had some racist incident at one time or the other, we, whether it be the Chelsea fans against Tammy Abraham or, you know, the uh, recent racism against Paul Pogba or Fred, especially Fred and West Ham have been known for their hooliganism and, you know, anti-Jews. Anti exactly. So, yeah. So, their anti-Semite stuff. And so, I mean, one of the other points was that the what that Gary Neville had put out there was, you know, the regulator should deal with racism. Now, again, that's something that's, you know, people like UEFA and FIFA have all tried to do in one form or the other have, I wouldn't say succeeded because, you know, you can put as many sanctions as you want to. They've done it to countries, they've done it to clubs, but yet the problems will persist. So how successful do you think, uh, Michael, how successful do you think this regulator would be in do, in solving something as prevalent as racism? 
okay there was this article which was put out right recently about uh, john terry i'm sorry dishant for bringing this in but this he is not representative of the entire club but uh, wait, wait, john, wait, wait, wait. john no no john, no, 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 no. john terry is oh sorry uh, that was jerry yeah, yeah, yeah. You can no, bash him. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, who is a Chelsea fan actually? I thought Jaren, that was Jaren. Jaren. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Jaren. Yeah. So Jaren, uh, the thing is, he came out recently and he was talking about uh, how he's developed so far, how he has progressed, and he how he had called up Anton Ferdinand and Rio Ferdinand regarding the racist things. And Anton yeah. Ferdinand came out with a reply and said he never contacted me so far yet. How is it possible for him to go out and make a public comment and say that I did this? And then Anton Ferdinand comes in and says he I've not at all got any contact from him since then. My point is he called up Les Ferdinand instead. So the thing is, you see, we have to understand that there are a lot of things where in football, like Jaren said, in forget the EPL, look at the Serie A, where you have people literally throwing bananas at black people. So the thing is, we we there is definitely a racism issue, and this is see the thing is when it's exactly like what you said, Pradi. I think it's a case where uh, Gary Neville wanted to put in all this stuff, and then suddenly he thought, you know what? to get more traction on this we need to bring in the woke army because that's how it goes with everything nowadays whether it's the movies or whether it's some series or whether it's some book there's always some woke agenda going on and people are actually there's attraction going on behind it so the thing is to be honest okay here's the thing honestly for the lgbt thing how many guys do you know i know that it's a serious problem it's um, no one's denying that it's a serious problem but is it really that big an issue for him to have actually mentioned that on that letter other than for getting more views or backing how many gay players I'm, do you know who I'm are right now sure, who have issues i'm pretty sure there are people who are hiding the fact that they are because of the fact that they are probably scared that if they do come out that they're going to face a lot of backlash which right I mean, but then what the on, what to see this independent regulator that you're bringing in yeah. do you really think that that those issues were something that he should have put in there it, it, i don't see the connection other than the fact that he just wants to get some woke trans, uh, woke traction on it my point is i think see the main thing is this 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 independent con, uh, regulatory board is we've mentioned this in this group what actually is going to con- uh, constitute this particular uh, independent regulatory exactly, board yeah. who are going to be in it because if we are going to say if if some there was some discussion about in one group where they were talking about the people who are signing right now people like Gary Neville and all would be involved in it but then if people like that are going to be involved in it then there's a clash there because those people are also working in football so there's some incentivized thing there yeah. and a lot of the things he says are sound of sound it's like you said pradi a lot of it sounds like stuff that sounds good on paper he's just thrown it in there and the thought okay you know what now that i put it in there you guys figure it out yeah i mean it's, for, it's, for it's him something to... similar to what simon jordan has actually said mike <laughs> yeah. correct <laughs> i mean also it... it doesn't work both ways like you are in football and you're making this regulation like how like yeah. you're also an employee of the club sky so that too he's right now an employee sky. of sky <laughs> and they are the ones who are behind the premier league they're all bothered about the cash yeah <laughs> yeah i mean to be like not to be fair but you know the fact that he's put it out there i'm pretty sure that's raised questions because the fact that you can't just put lgbtq that they'll deal with it and not have people answers to ask questions like we are doing right now as to how because right now no one, i mean the premier league has tried to do have this initiative and all and it's still not work so what are you proposing that just by adding things like racism they'll deal with racism they'll deal with lgbtq fine it's fair enough but 
you know, before signing that petition, I would have asked myself as to how. I mean, the question is how you're going to do that. And like we've all said, we have no idea right now. It's just been, you know, just sign it. Let's just get it through to parliament and let's see what happens there. And I suppose that leads me on to the final question for today. And that is, if this independent regulator was to be implemented by parliament, and I also want to know whether you think it will be, I just want to know what is the role now of the Premier League? Will it will the role significantly diminish? Because Richard Masters himself has come out and said, fine, you know, the independent regulatory body is a nice idea, but the Premier League is capable of doing it, which I would argue they are capable of, but they haven't done it. So, you know, the point is moved because you, you ha- if you're saying you're capable of, why haven't you done it? And then your being there doesn't make sense because and it makes sense for an independent regulator to come because you're then saying that you're not good at your job. You're saying you're capable, but you're not showing it. So what do you think the Premier League's role will now be uh, going? So Nishant, let's get your thoughts first on this. Sure. But just to go back one topic on the racism thing, it, hmm. I watched a very interesting clip of Micah Richards speaking on the topic of racism. So remember the Zlatan... I, did you read about that? Zlatan might get like a three-year ban. Yeah, no, because he. I didn't. So Zlatan is a. It's, we don't know yet, but there were there were talks that he may get a three-year ban. Why? Because he has ten percent stake in a company called Bethard, and you know, betting any association yeah. with betting is not acceptable. Yeah, it's so he may get up to three years of a ban. And there was a player who was guilty of phrases racism. All he got was a ten-game ban. So you know, yeah. where are we? On the you know betting is that bad that your your career is almost over. No more football for three years, but you say something racist, which is absolutely not acceptable, and all you get is a small you know slap on your wrist. And I and I think that's the Slavia Prague player who got the ten match ban, and the Rangers player also got a ban for actually acting out against it or like kind of reacting to it, which is crazy. Um, So, So I just wanted to. Throw yeah. that in there. It's, it's very bizarre. And how do you regulate? So maybe if racism comes into, you know, the rule book, then maybe we can have a definite punishment like they have for betting in, involvement. He, it's not that he accepted bets or placed bets. He just, you know, he just bought a share in a company. Yeah. yeah. So this petition that we are taking to the parliament could have been a petition to the Premier League, you know, giving them a chance. Like you cannot just straight away take things off and say, okay, I mean, you can, but Preferably, they have done what they could have done for the past few years. They've stopped some takeovers and they've done the little they can here and there. So that um, statement from him at the end saying, you know, Premier League is capable of taking care. I wouldn't entirely say, no, you are not capable. Maybe they could have been given a slap on the wrist and, you know, they could have gotten the act together, give them a set of requests saying, these are the areas that you have not fixed for the past so many years they can say that you know these were already there you never fixed it but you know maybe one last chance saying you know these are our requirements this is not being met if you fail to do this we are taking this to the parliament and we are asking for a independent regulator to step in but this is your final warning i think that could have been better i feel yeah but if the regulator was to come do the does the premier league still stand or and just probably just do scheduling fixtures and stuff like that 
I, I, I don't think so. The, the, the regulation will actually come into effect. One of the main reason, okay, one, one of the main thing is like, so see, like what Nishan said, see, had they had to make those, those regulations, uh, regulations into effect, I mean, they would have done it long time back itself. Yeah. One of the key, key features, I would say, is that of your uh, game schedules. Hmm. This, this issue has been going on since ages. Like whenever yeah. there have been so many matches going on, like you have a, you have a European, um, like, you know, a match happening on a weekday and then you have a, immediately you have a Saturday match. How are you going to compete? And they've been telling that, okay, let's, you know what, let's not start the, the season early, like in August. Let's, let's push it to September, like to what the Germans are actually doing. Why they're not doing that? Had they wanted to do that, they would have done that. So similarly, I don't get I don't get the feeling that you know the regulations will actually come into effect. Like what they may get the signatures, but you know eventually how how is it going to work? I don't think so. It's you know it's going to come into picture or anything. Right. And uh, Michael, your final thoughts on this? I mean, we we've spoken about the regulation may or may not coming into effect. But I'm giving a hypothetical here that they will come into effect. You know, what does the Premier League now stand for? See, yeah. So the thing is, when we look at it, okay, now let's, now that you've put out the fact that let's assume that the regulatory board is there. See, the honest truth is, what exactly is it going to change other than the fact that you're going to shift the blame or the decision making for a purpose to another group? See, the thing is, right. when whenever something doesn't work out in some place, in any workplace or something, it, it, it makes it, it makes a point for you to be able to review yourself and say that, okay, these are the points where the, we have gone wrong or where we have not lived up to it, right? So that's, so we basically, when we say that, okay, this is regulatory board is going to be there. And now that it's created, we've basically admitted that the Premier League was not good enough, or at least yeah. whatever organization was uh, uh, encapsulated was there. It was not good enough to have done the things that this independent regulatory board now has to do. But the thing is, at the end of the day, if when it's not having an independent regulatory board is not going to say that the problems are going to be solved. You're just going to have another body here for them to yeah. be able to say that, okay, these guys are the wrong things. This thing. The Premier League, see, is going to go on because the Premier League, as has been mentioned by you and Jeremy before, this is actually something which was a business deal from the 90, from 1992, right? So these guys are mm-hmm. going to be involved with the clubs, it's it's uh, with Sky and with uh, this thing. That's not going to be removed from it. You're actually right. taking away some of their responsibilities. Yeah. When you take... And, a, and it, Mike, and Mike, uh, just to add to your point, yeah. who will constitute this regulatory board? That is a big question. Yeah. Exactly. Because if you're going to pass it through parliament, that means you're going to make it a government body now. So who is yeah. going to be in there? So that, but then now taking that aside, taking aside that and putting the part where Pradi said that, okay, now it's there. Now it's there. Whoever is constituting it has constituted it. The thing is, you're taking away responsibility of certain sort from the Premier League and you're putting it on this body. I think it's actually going to start clashing a lot with the Premier League also. If, if such a body exists, I I honestly think this would be more problematic than anything else. I think uh, as the Premier League, it'll go on if there's a regulatory body. They will be in charge, like Pratty said, in terms of arranging the matches and doing all of that. So right now, the proposals which are there, the main four things which we have all talked about, I think so for this re- regulatory board is one, the two things are the work things. One is the LGBT thing and one is the racism thing. So if you're going to do that, then you're taking away that responsibility from the Premier League. So the Premier League is going to be happy enough to be able to take that off their chest. Yeah. And then, and, and, and yeah, as Nishant and Mike, has, 
yeah my one more thing uh, in coming to racism what what actually constitute to racism actually exactly like, like you and nishant like, both have said that you yeah. when it's something that even the world as at at large has not been able to put it there how are we supposed to give the power a very it? a very good example is with your striker of united right now uh, what's his name that that is Amani. the point that i said i was not able to get so that's the <laughs> that's the point Amani. i was trying to because make he, he so, was saying yeah. that fellow he was saying that and i was trying to say it out of love it's not like, yeah, I, was yeah. like yeah. i was calling yeah. him that word so yeah. but you know the public like what is it the woke public I mean, like, or even even uh, was it bernardo silva with benjamin mendy when he put out that picture of that chocolate or whatever I mean, so the, the the main thing yeah. is this. The main thing is that when you have a regulatory body, you're actually giving an excuse to the Premier League to say, you know what, this is not stuff that we're bothering about anymore. We are. Yeah, this right. is not something that we are taking care of. So this regulatory body now, who we don't know is going to be a part of whoever is going to be a part of now has all these things. You're you're basically introducing a new body to be able to regulate something which they're not even directly involved in, other than in this sense. So you tell me how I I understand there's a conflict in interest when you say that the Premier League they're looking out for themselves and the cash thing where they're taking care of it but now you're having this body which is not related to that if if it works out in principle as it's supposed to be put out how are they in any position to be able to say that okay this is right and this is not right yeah. for a club to do because see I, 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 even I'll give you a small example in terms of West Ham as well now if we take West Ham United and if we had that type of Uh, voting power let's say who constitutes the fan base for example now if we took west ham fan base as a worldwide whole the move to the olympic stadium for example would have been pushed pushed through because it it was attractive to us but then if you take only the local people who are going there who are going to upton bowling park and who get the stadium yeah. the bowling ground they would have yeah. axed that decision immediately Yep. that we're looking at a completely different situation now west ham probably st- see uh, i'm not talking about which decision was better but that but that makes a huge difference so now the same thing an independent regulatory board comes in you're having this new group with a completely separate outlook from Th- what that's the same that's the same thing happened even with stamford bridge also now they wanted to move out of that place but huh. probably because of the fans only you know the stadium is still there otherwise abramovich would have moved that freaking stadium out of that place right now yeah i know yeah, hmm. uh, should have all right i guess i mean i have to say that you know in terms of how this will play out it'll be really interesting to see i think i've not seen a quicker vote of no confidence yeah, i was going to say no vote of confidence but i haven't seen a quicker vote of no confidence uh you know ever i think the last time i saw something that was as quick was probably in like star wars episode 1 but i i guess that's all the time we have for this particular hey, star wars episode 1 don't one don't no no, no I, yeah. i was what it as soon as you mentioned star wars jaren's going to open his mouth so quickly yeah, move no. on yeah yeah anyway I, i have to because that's unfortunately all the time we have i think we well exceeded that half an hour that uh, limit that we had but Ple- uh, it was a really pleasant conversation very informative it was really interesting and i really liked the episode or the segment that we did uh, and i can't wait to host you in the near future whether it be for similar such topics or whether it be for you know topics that we we discuss your club in greater detail so thank you nishan jaren and michael for coming on here and for giving your thoughts on this yeah thanks for having thank us thank glad to be here thank you for having us yeah awesome all right so I guess that brings about an end to part 2 or segment 2 of episode number 33 and with the end of part 2 that also brings to conclusion the entire episode 
which is episode number 33 again of the FFS podcast. So to those who have been listening to this entire episode, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. I hope it's a little more than an hour worth of football content. And if you do like the episode, please do leave a like. You can review us and you can check out our previous episodes on several different podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, you name it, we're probably there. And I guess I'll catch you all soon. So I guess that's about it for episode number 33. I'm your host, Praddy, once again. You stay safe and see you.